0: As Trinity Episcopal Midtown family continues conversations surrounding racism, we would like to thank each and every one of you for your contributions to this podcast series. Our goal is not to debate whether or not racism or white privilege exists, but rather simply to share our individual experiences and to work to find ways we can address racism, both personally and professionally. We believe this can be accomplished through the exchange of open, meaningful, and respectful conversations surrounding anti-racism. We believe that collectively and as Christians, we can work proactively toward identifying and opposing practices, structures, and systems that enable racism to flourish and exist in our world. It is our hope that through this work, we can achieve a greater understanding of social justice, which is simply allowing all persons equal access to the benefits and freedoms of a society and to also be free from the unequal distribution of its burdens.
1: Well, let me just say that being a product of the 60s and going to nursing school, I was fortunate right after they passed the Civil Rights Bill to go to a, a private nursing school. And this was a Catholic school Ran by Catholic nuns from Ireland, and the school had no choice; they were forced to integrate. And that September, there were there were twenty four of us who were African American, and this was the first time that this school had an enrollment of twenty four black women. It was. I guess that was joy, and then that was also a lot of pain. When we got to the, what usually occurred was back in those days, nursing, you took nursing for three years. So you started your freshman year with all your basics. It was a four-year program, so when you became a sophomore, you started nursing. So you had the sophomore year, the junior year, and the senior year, so when... So that when we got to the sophomore year of nursing, school breaks uh, for for winter break occurs in December. And December 1st, we were all asked to report back to our nursing, actually to where the nursing classes were held. Come back on campus and the faculty wanted to talk with us. So the faculty had us all sitting outside going in one by one. And I think what they tried to do was, it was not only was it the African-American students, but it was the white students, and maybe a couple of Hispanic students. So we went in and we had to face five women and they were three that were nuns and the other two were just Uh, RNs, teacher, nursing, white women. So I was told that I was an excellent student, but they didn't like my hair. And that the next semester, I would be spending more time at the hospital. And I may frighten some of the patients. This was also the time of the Black Power movement. And I had natural hair. So... The director of the program, one of them said to me, Norma, you're a good student. We can assure you a spot if in January you come back, you will find a way to relax your hair and have straight hair. Your hairstyle will frighten the patients. So, I was very, very depressed and I didn't know (laughs) what to think about it. So I went back and talked to my brother, who was a couple of years older than I was. So my brother gave me some wisdom that I never thought about. He said, this is what I want you to do. He said, either you try some of those new perms that are nothing but lying, burn your scalp, or you try a wig. He said, because one thing, if you graduate, from that school is a very prestigious school because the school is not St. Thomas nursing school. Say, if you graduate from that school, they can't take away your degree. So right now there's nothing you can do about it. You want to go to the next level and you don't want to be stopped. So when school starts in January, go back with straight hair. And that's what I did. I went back with straight hair. But what I was really surprised about We started as 24. When I went back in January, there were only five of us who were African-Americans left. They found a reason to get rid of all the other women. And so other than as a child on the back of the bus, this was probably, uh, I think the biggest crush that I had to see these women that I knew who compared to the other women that they found a reason for them not to be able to come back the next year. St. Thomas is found in Houston and it's over um, in the Montrose area. That's where St. Thomas is located. The original nursing school, the building is still standing. It's now now a a, uh, center for Catholic uh, seniors. It's called the Dominican Center. So the name of the school was Dominican College which is on um, OST. One of the things I can say is that going to that school, I w- the time that I was going to the school, it was a wonderful school. All of the nurses passed the state board. And at the time that I was going, Prairie View would have problems with their nurses passing the board. And then and in a lot of years, they found out that most of the white schools the information on the for the nursing board was shared with the professors. I know it's sad, but that was the time in which we was we were living in. I had a wonderful career. The only other time I think someone asked me as an African American nurse, how was I able to and it's and to do research for Baylor that I that, that I had to have something special to be doing, leading a major research project for HIV when most of the other universities were led by white women. So at one of our national meetings, someone walked up to me and said, in order for you to be be the uh, project manager, there must be something great about you because if you were in New York, Chicago, you would not be leading that project. I got very sick in the junior year. What was really odd about it, the director of the school, which I mentioned earlier, was a nun. She came to see me at the hospital because I was at at St. Joseph. And she came to see me and she said, you know, Norma, she said, usually you've been in a hospital sick for two weeks. Usually we tell you to drop. But, you are an excellent student. All I need you to do is promise me in, in which I know you can that you will study and will not flunk the board the first time around she said I will give you I will give you a pediatric grade of a B. I just need you to turn in the abstracts, but this is just between you and I and this is what the little nun told me and I said, okay. So the next semester was psychiatry. And at that time, as I mentioned, it was four of us. One of my good friends, who was a good student, she did not pass psychiatry. And we don't know why. So when I started the senior year, there were three of us. And the three of us graduated together out of a class of 24 Black women. (laughs) <laughs> mr charles you got anything you want to share
2: we went through a lot of different things like we used to go over here on mcgregor and try to go to the swimming pool so when we used to go to the swimming pool and then go over mcgregor they had um uh, they said that uh They used to tell us that, you know, you have to shower before you get in the pool. Of course, that's been going around for years. Was Nothing new. We knew about it. But then they say, okay, we couldn't go in the showers where the whites went in the showers. And so what we would do, and they said, well, what we got to do? And so they would make us go outside, turn on the water holes on each other. And they'd get in the pool, but you couldn't get in the deeper pool. You couldn't get in there. they tell you when and where, don't get close to people. And then at the end, a lot of times, it only ended in a lot of confrontation with, you know, the us as a black group fighting the white group, for, you know, just for no reason. They just didn't like us. Uh, you know, then when we get ready to go get our clothes out the locker, they wouldn't give us the clothes. And, and they would say, you know, all this. And then they would... Lock the front door, and but we had I mean, they wouldn't let us come through the front door. We had to go through the back door and through the gate to get out of the pool and stuff like, but it's you know several incidents like that. Then we used to live in a neighborhood that was well, our only black neighborhood, and all the other neighborhoods was white. And so any anytime that you ventured which you had to out of the neighborhood and come through or go through one of those neighborhoods, to a corner store or something like that. You know, it was always confrontations with, uh, you know, we don't want y'all in here. We don't want, want y'all in. And the people who owned the store, of course, uh, most of them was white. So they'd only let us in one at a time. Then somebody in the store would follow you around everywhere you go and stuff like that. Then with the white group, they would let them in in bulk. You know, it just different things like that that, that was happening and then it's... Uh, And way we was treated as teenage boys, uh, by you know they would always say that we was doing something because if they seen four or five of us or more blacks, we was always doing something into something. But we wasn't doing that, but we was blamed for it anyway. And parents wouldn't let us go a lot of places, or even if we go places, you get a you know your parents would lecture you on things to do not to say even if they say something to you. And so you know, we live through things like that. And me and my brother getting thrown off the bus, uh, coming from uh, Third Ward back to uh, Sunnyside, we get thrown off the bus because we didn't, we didn't uh, want to sit at the back, we want to try to sit in the middle, so
1: that's it. But you know, some of these things are back. Yeah, they're back. You, it's the same thing, they're back. Um, I know recently at one of the universities, a young man turned in a paper and the professor decided he wasn't gonna accept the paper. The same issues of going through neighborhoods. um, I guess in a way uh, where we live now, um, I know when we moved on the street, I think we was the first that were African-American on this street. And later, um, two or three other families moved in. And right now, I think, because it's been some time, I think there are really three of us on this street that are African-American. And when we first moved to Paraland, I mean Paraland was still a racist area. And since we have been dealing with masks until the mayor, who is really, as they say, it's not really a mayor, the city is run by the, uh, I think, uh, the president of the board of the council or whatever, and it wasn't until the mayor said that we were going to go in mask that mass occurred. I went to get an MRI two weeks ago, and I went to one of uh, St. Luke's facilities, so the technician, and this is since we're dealing with uh, the Black Lives Matter, she was trying her best to make me comfortable and let me know that she was not racist. So when it was time for me to lie down on the MRI table, she said to me, well, I know what kind of music you need to listen to. I said, well, usually I don't listen to anything. I pray during that time and just try to reflect. Oh, no, you need to listen to... Uh, So she went on to tell me that, oh no, you need to listen to Luther. There's nobody like Luther. And I know that Luther and uh, Whitney is up in heaven and they're making good music and they're singing. (laughs) And so what I said to her, I said, well, you know what? I said something my mother told me, I said, and I'll never forget. She said, we've been told to do everything so we can get to heaven. I said, but well, do you know anybody who's gone to heaven and came back and told you that Luther and Whitney are singing together? She said, no. I said, well, that's fine. I said, the only time I said, now, on Facebook, and I'm going to call it the, that blackie on Facebook, I said, anytime you lose an artist that sings, I say, there's a there's a picture put up there with all the others who have passed on before and saying saying that there's a choir up there singing together, and you see the pictures I said, but if Luther makes you happy, go ahead and put Luther on and so I mean, I don't think she realized that where she was trying to be helpful I mean maybe I wanted Frank Sinatra, but she just decided that because. I was black. Luther was something that I want to listen to.
3: Uh, Welcome to our fourth podcast on Racism Revealed. I want to thank all of you for uh, joining us uh, in another one of our series as we continue to work uh, towards sharing our stories, enlightening each other, and uh, the work that we are putting in to dismantle the sins of racism. I want to extend a very special thanks to Mr. and Mrs. Cooper uh, for sharing your stories Uh, from the experiences that you all encountered. I know a few of your experiences in the 60s. I'm sure there were many, uh, even up until your experience just recently here in 2020. So thank you all so much for for that. Uh, It would be a century after the Emancipation uh, Proclamation uh, that African Americans in the South were still denied access to good housing, high-quality education, employment, and many other uh, really basic amenities. Uh, there was so much going on in the 60s. Um, there were student sit-ins at lunch counters, nonviolent protests all over to help bring about change, freedom rides, uh, local buses were stoned and burned, and innocent people were attacked by angry white mobs Innocent protesters were arrested. Lots of police brutality. Um, And it was being filmed and aired on local uh, national network TV stations around the world. A process was formed to also uh, help African Americans register to vote. Riots were breaking out all over the place mass boycotts, marches, Bloody Sunday, Um, the deaths of a few powerful and prominent African-American leaders were also assassinated, and so much more. was lots of civil unrest in the 60s, all in the effort to resist change, change that was much needed in this country to rid itself against racism that so many whites were not wanting to, to do. So I clearly understand Mr. and Mrs. Cooper, and I sympathize uh, with you um, and applaud you for all that you've endured um, in your young lives in the 60s. All the racial disparities uh, that you've had to endure at, at the university to become a nurse, um, the indignations at the pool. Um, and I'm sure in every other imaginable way you encountered racism in one form or another. So, My hope is that we will be able to one day learn from these stories and the painful experiences of our past and move forward toward reconciliation and um, a complete harmony uh, between us as human beings. So thank you again so much, Mr. and Mrs. Cooper, for sharing your stories with us. I would like for us to close in prayer now. If you would, please bow your heads. Grant, O God, that your holy and life-giving spirit may so move every human heart and especially the heart's of the people of this land, that barriers which divide us may crumble, suspicions disappear, and hatred cease, that our divisions being healed, we may live in justice and peace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Once again, my friends, thank you all for joining us in podcast four. We look forward to meeting again for our next podcast uh, that will air on Monday, August 3rd, 2020. It'll be podcast number five of our series, Racism Revealed. Please join us then. Until then, be safe. Enjoy uh, your time. Reach out to somebody and help somebody along the way. Thank you so much again. God bless. Come to the table
4: this is the Reverend Hannah Elizabeth Atkins Romero, Rector of Trinity Episcopal Church in Houston. Saying thank you to Sheila Wainwright and Angel Williams, our hosts of the Trinity podcast Racism Revealed. And with deepest appreciation for our truth tellers, Norma and Charles Cooper. Thank you both very much. Would also like to give a heartfelt thanks to the Trinity Jazz Ensemble for providing the music. And to Colin Boothby our producer if you'd like to learn more about trinity and some of the work that we're doing and the ministry that we have together please check our website at trinitymidtown.org